0: Love Talks Radio. TV Party Tonight! TV Party Tonight! TV
1: Party Tonight! TV Party Tonight! We're going to
0: have our TV Party Tonight! Alright! We're going to have our TV Party Alright!
1: He's gonna hang out here tonight! All right! right. Still back out on the couch.
0: And tonight our favorite show continues to be Fuller House. This time season 3. Welcome to TV Party tonight. I am your host, the mandated reporter and frankly I'm mortified, Mr. Mark Rattledge. And joining me to discuss Fuller House season 3 brought to you by Netflix is my good friend and often co-host of TV Party tonight, Mr. Pat Mullen. How do you do, sir? Come on now! Stop it! Cut it out! Quit it! <laughs> uh, how rude. How you doing?
1: Uh, doing well, Mark. I've been looking forward to this show. Uh, this has become old hat for us. As, as soon as a Fuller House season pops out, you and I jump on and, and watch it as soon as we can and, and do these uh, shows for them. And it's a lot of fun to just kind of do this and I enjoy it, and the listeners apparently enjoy it, too. So as long as you guys want it, we'll keep giving it to you.
0: You know, um, I just did a TV party for Ozark, and, you know, I tend to keep to the serious, dramatic-type stuff. So it's fun to just – it's fun to talk about a silly show like Fuller House, which I think Netflix does a pretty good job with. Uh, We were talking before the show started proper – about how some of the cast members seem a lot more comfortable with their roles and they're having fun with them. And the show itself takes on has taken on a different air. And so as a viewer, I'm having more fun with the show. I, I think in a lot of ways, well, season, season three is superior to both one and two. I mean, you and I talked about with the first season how it felt like it felt like a... Alright, everyone take a drink. I'm about to make a wrestling reference. It felt like one of those matches <laughs> where no story was being told, but everyone had to get their shit in. And it was just a series of high spots. Um, well, goddamn, what the wrestling, fuck? They're
1: running off the damn ropes and they don't sell a goddamn
0: thing. Fuck that. <laughs> that exactly, Jim Cornette. Um, and so, you know, you and I had talked about how a little frustrating it was, uh, but it, the show found its groove after a couple of episodes. By season three, the season we're going to talk about tonight, everyone seems very settled. And everyone's got their role, and they're, they're telling a couple of different stories. And it doesn't seem as, like, like I said, everyone's got to get their shit in. They're also less reliant on the, uh, the old cast. You know, you and I had, were talking before. I think uh, Danny Tanner only makes one episode appearance. John Stamos <laughs> in alternating between their character and their uh, um, real-life names. Bob Saget makes one appearance. Dave Coulier makes one appearance, him and his terrible children. John Stamos makes an appearance. Um, the gal that plays his wife makes one appearance, and that's it. Over nine episodes, you get, you know, Four of them have one guest appearance by one cast member, and that's it, uh, which I liked. You know, and as a starting place to talk about this season, uh, it goes to the fact that they have a strong enough cast now that they don't need to rely on John Stamos and company to to prop them up.
1: You know, it's funny. I, I'm a huge Knight Rider fan, the original Knight Rider. Loved it, have collectibles of it. Uh, We'll watch it, you know, randomly when it's on TV, rerunning at a certain point. If I just happen to see it's on, I will stop what I'm doing and watch it. Um, They came out with a new Knight Rider a couple years ago, probably about close to 10 years ago at this point. Uh, And there was very little touching the old show with it other than Hasselhoff being this guy's father and appearing in it briefly. Uh, No William Daniels, no Devin, et cetera, et cetera when you don't recapture the elements of the old show for the new generation or for the old generation, a lot of it's just lost and people get resented resentment towards it. Why are you calling it this one? That is almost nothing going on with this. Um, there, there's a new one day at a time that literally has no connection to the original show. Uh, this show tried its hardest to make its viewers of its predecessor happy by acknowledging the past characters and the relationships and everything and it's done a really good job of building off of that without relying on that to make the show happen.
0: I also like that they're not just bringing them in for the shits and giggles of it, that there's a, that there's a story to be told with each of their appearances, or, or you know they do something other than show up. You know it isn't a matter of you know Dave Coulier walks on screen, and is like, "I'm Dave Coulier, and hi, Dave Coulier," and then proceeds to walk off screen again. Um I keep using him because he actually I think has the best appearance where they told a story in the second season about him and his terrible children, and they continued that story and actually addressed the primary issue with him and those kids. Uh they did it in a silly way and they sort of kept to the idea that Dave Kalier is still a pushover parent, you know, who uh has <laughs> a difficult time disciplining his awful children. But uh at least there was continuity there uh which i liked you know um john stamos and uh, Re- rebecca romaine stamos had adopted a child towards the end of season 2 you actually okay not uh, not rebecca romaine stamos oh sorry What's what's her actual name <laughs> she's not <Shit. laughs>
1: lori Loughlin. rebecca romaine stamos and now go. rebecca romaine o'connell
0: okay whoops um her Actually, show you know, show up with the kid twice, you know, and and continue to tell that story. So, you know, it was good. Um, And the the appearance by Bob Saget, you know, he plays he plays a role in that particular uh, (laughs) with the pie eating and all of that. But you have all these various relationships having difficulties, and he's there, sort of remind them, hey, you have to talk to each other. This doesn't work, and he's absolutely right. This doesn't work when you're when you're just you know, arguing and not communicating with one another. So I liked all that, but let's talk a little bit about the about our season opener here, uh, which is entirely reliant on the the cast. And I'll tell you, I don't know. I I don't know how I feel about musical numbers. In some cases, I think they're fun. In other cases, uh, I'm kind of like, all right, can we can we get to the storytelling here and stop with the silliness? And I like the fact that this was almost a parody of musical numbers. They, they did a full one, and a lot of people in this cast cannot sing for shit. <laughs> it was a little bit of the cracking voices, and a couple of them were a little off-key. But it felt like at the end of it, they were, making, they were making fun of the whole idea of musical numbers after they had just done a full one. Um, so that made me laugh. What did you, you think of the musical the musical opener? It was the best summer ever.
1: I'm perfectly happy and content with it. It was not meant to be anything more than what you described it as. They're not trying to pretend this is some, you know, glee knockoff where everybody can sing pitch perfect and dance. No, this was very self-aware. And as a result, I think it's a lot more enjoyable.
0: Um, You and I, let's talk about the cast here. I said everyone seems a little bit more relaxed with their parts. They're pretty well established now after two seasons. One of the things you and I mentioned, and I want to talk about him specifically. uh, Oh boy. You know, we talked about it before the show. (laughs) Elias. Oh gosh. What's his name? Elias. Harger. Harger. So you and I talked about how previously he, he just seemed to be yelling at the camera. You know, and he was doing the you know dot from Animaniacs. I'm cute, and that was kind of it to his character. You know, just the left hook coming behind this. <laughs> it just seemed to be limited to I'm going to scream my lines at the character and then smile and show my dimples. And as as season one progressed, to season two. They started to make him a little bit more a feminine but they just they didn't necessarily go full stewie from family guy. And I'll tell you the arc of this character followed stewie where I mention him because at the, in the beginning stewie was just a genius who wanted to kill his mom and then they started adding little a or homosexual twist to him. But it was just little snippets here and there. And then over the course of 15, 16 seasons or whatever, they have pretty much gone and made him fully gay. <laughs> you know, there was there constant jokes about him being a homosexual baby, which if you're a fan of Family Guy is funny. And if you don't know anything about Family Guy, you're hearing that and going, what the hell? But that's, that's the show for you. Um, well, they're following the same arc with poor Elias Harder here. Who started off with, eh, a little feminine, but you know that just may be the way he's, he's being directed, or, you know that, that's just, just how he's coming across. to this season, he has gone full stewie. He's just the way he stands, his delivery of the lines. He, 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 he's just so over the top of feminine to the point where it's distracting. I just I'm
1: thinking of all the hate response we're gonna get for talking about a little boy who's gay or at least we believe to be gay at this point. Not not Elias Harger himself, but the character of Max. Uh and you know, they, they basically what we talked about, they have one caveat to kinda convince you, okay, maybe he's not, because they gave him a little girlfriend character last season who appears this season too. And Mark, do your little bit again, please sing.
0: It's the is the best summer ever.
1: No, What song you're singing after we brought up the uh, girlfriend character, who I nonchalantly referred to as the world's youngest beard.
0: Oh, damn it! You put me on the spot. I don't know I don't remember what I was singing.
1: Not a liver spot. Not as not just any spot, not a spot like your dog spot, not any spot, but my spot. Sorry, (laughs) shut me up. I had to take it. Mark, fair enough. I'm not actually gay. I'm not actually gay. I'm not actually gay.
0: Okay, yeah. Who's got a case of the not gays? Um, Which you don't know what that is. That is a reference to Red Letter Media's "Half in the Bag," where they were talking about specifically. They were talking about Chris Pine's um, uh, oh gosh, Captain Kirk from the new Star Trek movies, where <laughs> where it's like they have to make him like having sex with all these various women, so as so as to not make him come across as gay. And they do the same thing with Spock, so as to not make him come across as gay they made sure that they gave him a girlfriend yeah. so, and, and thus they, they, they came up with the, the phrase who's got a case of the not gays. And so that's what they've done to the seven year
1: old. Um, they made <laughs> sure he has a case of the not gays by giving him a girlfriend character that, uh, in one, uh, well, and this kind of counteracts the argument, but he has a diary that he writes in, uh, and at one point talks about the future and marrying her. However, since that is written in a diary, anything is fair game.
0: <laughs> and, and it's not like, l- let me be clear. I am not insinuating anything in terms of, of sexual preference, per se. Uh, he, his portrayal of, of Max, Elias Hardy's portrayal of Max, just comes across as extremely effeminate. I mean, he stands with he he has a sassy way of standing. Yes, <laughs> you know, very animated
1: hand gestures.
0: He, and not like in an Italian he, old school sense. No, he's like standing with like his hip out and his hand on his hip. <laughs> it's just ridiculous. And it was like as a director, how do you let that happen? unless that's what you're going for. And I have to ask, why? I what think, is- honestly, I, I'm not
1: I'm not thrown by the fact that the director may, in fact, be going for that, because Rich Carell has directed the bulk of this season and has directed just over half the episodes that have come out of this show. And if you look at his directorial history... He worked on the original Full House. He worked on Perfect Strangers, uh, The Hogan Family, which stars Jason Bateman, star of Ozarks, Cheap Blood for Your Last TV Party, Step by Step, Family Matters. This type of show is not new ground for him by any means. So, And he's directed tons of child actors before without any type of you know issue or something along those lines. But So I have to imagine they're really trying to get him to be an effeminate character, if not a perpetually at some point, a homosexual character. Again, the, the standing with the hips out to the side with one hand on the hip, the almost pigeon toed kind of stepping the various multicolored, uh, boy preacher outfits. Um, (laughs) and it, and you said it gets to the point where it's distracting because it's taking away from whatever the narrative is because you're like, they're really making this kid really teeter a fine line. And I gave you the example of, uh, for anybody who's a fan of Curb Your Enthusiasm, there was an episode that was the season nine finale where Larry was dating a woman who had a very young son, probably about the same age as Max in this show who came across as being gay. And that was one of the long-running jokes in that episode when Larry got him a sewing machine for his birthday, and he loved it. Uh-huh. And for those who want the example, go on YouTube, look up the video, Greg the Flamboyant Kid, and one quote summarizes it perfectly. Either this kid is the greatest actor since Pacino, or he's actually gay. Um,
0: I have to say, he's also... To a very small degree, almost m- microscopic, he's less annoying this season than he was in the previous two seasons. Um, he's not yelling, and that's it, a plus. Yeah, he, he's a tad more subdued. But it was just like they, what they ma- what they made up for in turning him down, they just they turned up in the sass. Uh, another character who's they. have as they have gone stewy with with Elias Harger, they seem to have started to go Homer Simpson with Michael Campion, who plays Jackson, because originally they just made him you know I'm looking at the Wikipedia entry for his character uh his mischievous thirteen year old son who often engages in reckless stunts, they seem to have pulled away from that more and made him uh, made him somewhat of a meathead <laughs> like they've just like this season, they made him dumber for some odd reason, which, right, which yeah, you, might, I, I, you might hear that and think, well, it runs counter to his storyline where he, um, you know, where he, get, where he has to go back to summer school to, to uh, fix his history grade uh, from a D to what ends up, I think, becoming an A um, after a fact. But despite that, they gave him friends who are all morons. And they, they they continually made him out to be a moron, and it was like this is what happened to Homer Simpson, where he started off as just an angry dad, and over this and over the seasons has become you know more and more retarded. You know they also did that with Peter Griffin. Peter Griffin started out as you know j- just a New England dad, um, who was supposed to be like a stereo like a stereotype of a TV dad, and they they've fully admitted he's like borderline retarded now. Uh, on the show. And for some weird reason, that's the direction they decided to take with the Jackson character. I'm not hating it, though, and I think he's doing it well. Uh, You know, they're portraying
1: him, and poor Michael Campion is at that stage of puberty where you get very lurchy and awkward, and your voice doesn't sound Mm -hmm. right in a lot of ways. And the poor guy's having (laughs) to live it on Netflix to millions of people. So I think you know they they kind of tried different directions with his character for the first two years. They tried where well, he was kind of the atypical mischievous older sibling, near do well kind of like a uh, which we've seen in plenty of sitcoms before. Like uh, the best one I always remember is Mike Siever, Kirk Cameron, um, as just the mischievous near do well older brother who doesn't really figure it out until much later on in life, um, and that's kind of a, a stereotype the same way the, the jockey older sibling would be who maybe isn't the sharpest knife in the drawer, but is either a football player or a wrestler of some kind or some type of athlete. In this sense, they've kind of dropped that because they knew that they've already portrayed him as clumsy, accident prone and not very tough. So they're now just going into full, you know, dullard mode with him and he played it very well. A lot of his delivery on these lines is just really accurate. Like when they talk about uh, him and his uh, his posse of uh, less than intellectual friends from summer school are having a discussion about Abraham Lincoln, and when one of them refers to him as the guy who started that job website, and another character <laughs> of him says, "No, that's LinkedIn," and Jackson and gives the history of Lincoln, and Jackson just replies, "No, that doesn't sound right." <laughs>
0: yeah I actually got a good a good couple of laughs out of him this season. He also came across less annoying um they they stopped they had one or two lines throughout the nine episodes where he was you know he was like oh I'm Jay money and then it was like' no you're not and he's like you're right, I'm not <laughs> and it was like quickly acknowledging you don't pull off swath at all um they made him a little bit more sincere but they, they started to make him a bit of a dummy. And you're right, it works. It was an interesting choice for him. Uh, I mentioned to you before we went on air tonight that Sonny Nicole Bringas, who plays Ramona Gibbler, really looked like... This is the most I've enjoyed her character this season because they stopped, they, they stopped making her seemingly hate everyone in the cast. And it really looked like she was having fun with Andrea Barber this time. Like the the scenes they have together, it just looks it just looks like she's having a great time. There's a lot of dancing going on, and it was just like, you know, like, here, this is what we're going to make you guys do." And she's just like, this is wonderful. she's clearly a talented dancer. Um, and that's kind of what they gave her to do this season, other than some of the stuff with PopCo, um, who thankfully only makes one appearance this entire season. Uh, maybe two I think he might have been in the laser tag sequence But in any case Which I actually want to talk about With reference to Andrea Barber But um, yeah I, it looked like She's more comfortable in the role now And more comfortable with the two people Who play her parents uh, With those two actors And it makes for viewing her A lot more enjoyable
1: I really enjoyed the interplay she has, not even just with Andrea Barber as Kemi, but I enjoy her with uh, Fernando, too. And there's really only two times I, I can deal with Fernando on my screen. One is when he's having his rivalry with Max, and the other is seeing his interaction with Ramona, because I think they play off of each other really well. And I think even though he's extremely annoying, through most of his appearances, when he gets engaged with the kids, it comes off really well. And particularly him in that fatherly role where he gets to drop a lot of the goofy absurdity of his character and gets to be this loving dad, I think that shows very well. And I think she tends to bring it out of him in a lot of respects. I think she got to be more her own character this year than as kind of the the sister that Jackson and Max never had, and a plot device in a lot of their antics. She got her own light to shine in a lot of respects, and I think it worked well.
0: I actually really enjoyed Juan Pablo Depaci uh, as Fernando this season. I think my favorite bit of his, and we're, we're jumping around a lot, but I wanted to talk about the characters first before we discuss the plot elements. Um, but I, I, my favorite part of him this season, and you're right, his stuff with Max is always very funny, um, but he, he moves out seemingly thinking that Andrea Barber and um, Sonny Nicole are going to follow him, and Andrea Barber flat out says, nope, I like it here and I'm not leaving, and you should have asked me before you did any of this, um, which again, we'll talk about a little ways down the line, but so part of it is now his family is still living in the, in the, in the fuller home. And so he keeps coming back over because he's lonely, even though he's living with Jimmy Gibbler. (laughs) So there's a bit where he, where it's almost Scooby-Doo-ish where he's running around the house and DJ is chasing him and trying to find him and trying to get him to leave and he's like hiding under the bed, and he's running across the hall when she leaves. And it's—I actually enjoyed the shit out of that. I, I thought, you know, as goofy as a character is, as he is, that he made work. I definitely
1: saw improvements in what they did with him, and I—I I don't want to bag on the portrayal so much as the writing of the character. I think, to be Mm -hmm. fair to Juan Pablo Depaz, who who plays him, I think they wrote him as a one-note joke for a lot of season one, did very little expansion on it in season two, other than when he got to be Ricky Ricardo for Halloween, because that played out really well. And this season, I I still didn't necessarily enjoy him so much as tolerated him. I think the more goofier, surrealistic elements of the show this year are almost exclusively tied to him. So I can kind of pass on that stuff. Almost the same way during the original run of the show, when it got in later years, and, you know, writers start running out of ideas. They took Dave Coulier's character and made him more of just an an actual complete buffoon to the point where he wasn't enjoyable on any level, and you just wanted to hit him. (laughs)
0: <laughs> uh, the last character I want to bring up is a reoccurring guest character who sort of takes the place of Lola. They, they use Lola for one episode where her and Jackson break up. And while well, they are not boyfriend and girlfriend per se, she basically acts in that role. Uh, she's Jackson's study partner. He meets her in summer school. Uh, and she's actually the daughter of another reoccurring character, uh, the chick who was in the the band with um, Stephanie and DJ. Yes,
1: Gia, her former uh, junior high school, high school best friend, friend of frenemy who constantly got her into trouble.
0: Yeah. So Landry Bender plays Rocky, who is Gia's daughter. And I'll tell you, for the little bit that she has to do in this season, I really enjoyed the shit out of her. They didn't – I mean, I especially liked her – in the episode where she sleeps over because in the little bit that they gave her to do in that episode, you can see her, you know, seeing where Jackson's, how Jackson's family interacts and being a little jealous and being kind of hurt that her mother just sort of dumps her there. And is clearly, you know, giving the milk away for free per se. <laughs> Actually, I thought the Tinder joke was a little risque, for a show like this, to be perfectly honest with you, but uh, be that as it may, um, she's not given a lot, but she makes the most of her screen time. And I generally don't enjoy characters like hers, uh, you know, who you know plays the angry goth, you know, who is sardonic and sarcastic and just just an utter pill to deal to, to deal with on screen. Um, she took those elements and made them enjoyable. I have to I have to give Landry Bender who is a Disney Channel regular has been in a number of different shows both as a voiceover actress and an on-screen actress. She did a hell of a job and she is a welcome addition to the cast.
1: I, I and it's funny we talked about her right before the show aired. Uh, I I didn't place her in anything, didn't look at her. Apparently, she's done a lot of work with Disney, but the role I would know her in is she played the little girl named Blythe in *The Sitter* with Jonah Hill from 2011. Uh, a role where she was really good in at that at that young age. I think I think at that point in time she may have been 11 years old, 10 years old, and her comedic timing was excellent. She got the you know she got a very Awkward, difficult character to play for you know this little girl who's going through a celebutante phase as they called it, and she was one of the high points of that movie. Um, not that it's high art by any means, mind you, but it was fun, and she was a big part of it. And so I was when, when I found that out. I'm really not surprised how well she took to this character. And even though she's not given a lot, there were layers there. There was you know the the outsider kind of looking for some kind of acceptance. Within the group of dullards from summer school They was seeing her experience What a, not necessarily a Real family is like, but a Family unit, a nuclear family Unit, and how they react With each other and how they are around each other Versus growing up in a house with Gia As her mother uh, Which you can only assume based on The character's past and how She's presented in this show Is not an entirely wholesome environment
0: The last character I want to mention really quick, and, it, and it's really just a flyby year, but it bears it, it bears paying attention to uh, DeShell and Fox Mezzet, who play uh, Tommy Fuller. They take turns because of, you know, child labor laws and such. They really made good use country. out of the baby. I mean, <laughs> they really made excellent use out of the baby. The baby gets a lot of funny one-liners. I mean, there's only so much you can do with an infant. But I'll tell you, um, the camera loves that child, and the child loves the camera. Those children rather love the camera. I really – the little bits that they gave to those two kids I thought were really funny. Um, And, and again, kudos to the director for being able to do that with with a pair of infants, uh, toddlers, I guess, in this case, kids walking around now. But – I really enjoyed that. I mean, there's, the first two seasons, again, there's not a whole lot you could do with the child. He's just sort of there as an ornament. This time, they, they, they really made use of that character um, for some gags, which is, again, the, all you can ask of the poor child. Children. I think uh,
1: they're already outdoing the Olsen twins at the same point in time in their lives. So kudos to Dashiell and Fox Messet. I think keep
0: going, boys. You're doing just fine. And stay off the drugs. Um, <laughs> all right, so let's switch gears here. I don't have a whole lot to say about uh, Candace Cameron, Jodie Sweetin, or Andrea Barber, other than Andrea Barber was, mo- was definitely more toned down this season than she was in the previous two. And we had talked about she was like the highlight of the last two seasons. Um, she's more subdued this time, and I think that's because you have other characters who are sort of you know being turned up. You can't have every character on 10. It just becomes a cacophony of nonsense. You know, it becomes the first episode so of uh, season one. So uh, I can see the need for that. Joey Sweetin probably has the least to do of the main characters. Um, and this is still, and this is this is actually a good transition into the plot element. This is very much Candace Cameron Burr's show. This, this is the DJ Tanner Fuller show. This is a. This is really about her figuring out whom she loves. Is it Steve or is it Matt? Um, I have the name right. Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay. Um. You know, is it Steve or is it Matt? And that is a. That is a story element. That is an arc that has followed from the very first episode. You know, who does she love? where we left off with, uh, with season two uh, begins with she was going to tell Steve that, that she was going to choose him. Well, The end of season one is she's, she's told choose. You, you can't date both guys. And she says, I choose me. I have to figure out what I want first before I can make any kind of decision. And they open up season two with she's going to choose Steve. And as it turns out, he's dating CJ, who is, you know, no-frills DJ. <laughs> I thought was kind of amusing and she ends up dating Matt. Um, and that follows all the way into season three where she loves Matt, but there's still a twinge of doubt. And the first time you start to see uh, m- trouble in, in river city is where they do karaoke and Steve and DJ have, have a thing. They, they both do the bit from Greece, which I really enjoyed the, the whole karaoke sequence between Living La Vida Loca and the and, and Greece. I, I laughed pretty pretty hard at some of that, and I really enjoyed as far as musical numbers go, uh I, I enjoyed both sequences. And I didn't and I did enjoy Gia's line about I leave you're doing La Vida Loca, I come back you're doing La Vida Loca. You guys have a problem. But um be that as it may the I uh the whole thing that carries a lot of uh, a lot of this is DJ still unsure if she should be with Matt or not. And, you know, that leads to a, uh, a dress fitting episode where she tries, she accidentally tries on CJ's dress and there's a big misunderstanding. Um, and then it goes to the end of the, the series, a series cliffhanger, which is unbeknownst to her, She ends up telling Steve that she was going to choose him and that she should have chosen him and that it's too late now. And she's afraid that they're going to end up being with the wrong people. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and pitch it over to you. You know, what did you, as far as this particular season goes and her having some, uh, having some thoughts about Steve, well, dating Matt and still internally struggling with who the hell should she be with? What did you think of uh, this season and how it kept that story going?
1: I think it's actually presented well. I think it avoids a lot of standard traps that you see in this instance where like uh, I was a big fan of a TV show called my two dads and the narrative of the show, obviously is that the girl's mother was a skank slept with these two guys and it's indiscriminate who the father of young Nicole could be. And just like her mother had Joey and Michael pursuing her, Nicole has two boys constantly pursuing her, and she can't decide whether she wants to be with one or the other. Uh, whereas I think this one has a more realistic perspective, and I don't doubt whoever the, the lead writer was on this, that they've been in a situation where they had a breakup with somebody, uh, never really got closure on it completely, or has still had feelings left over, dated somebody else who was great had no issue with them, but you can't reconcile those feelings completely with the person you aren't with. And as a result, there's always a constant inner monologue. Am I doing the right thing? Do I, am I, am I truly happy with this person who makes me happy at times and that, but then I see this person and I get all stirred up again and there's all the, and you know, obviously they go a step further in the sitcom by complicating it with matters like a DJ accidentally trying on CJ's wedding dress, uh, the summer loving karaoke between the two of them where there's clearly a little bit of a spark there still Uh, Steve stopping by on his late night donut run and all these little instances that don't happen in real life other than the karaoke one, but just to further push matters. And then we get the big climax of this half of season 3 where on the plane to Japan for Steve's destination wedding. DJ makes her confession about choosing Steve initially and, thinking she's talking to her sister when in reality it's Steve who's hearing all this on the way to his wedding.
0: yeah I, uh, I really enjoyed it and it's like I enjoy the matt character and i I, I especially liked in the, in the lead up to the plane sequence, you know they're still doing the team Steve team Matt bit and Matts at first made to look like he doesn't have any of the attributes that make Steve the one that DJ should be with, and then he turns around and he and he does have all those things, you know. So they keep you guessing. Where is this going?
1: Yeah, they when they had him with you know remembering everything DJ said to him and taking the liberty of doing all these things ahead of time for her. It's like even if you know, and there there is a pretty loyal team Steve team Matt following following this show. Even if you're Team Steve, you have to look at that and be like, wow, you know what? that's pretty darn good. I don't know that she shouldn't be with this guy. And it's just really doing a good job of not making the narrative predictable, not forcing you to lean one way or the other. And I really enjoy that part of it. And again, I think it's a tough spot to be in to not as an actress, to not show favoring, you know, either Matt or Steve. And I think Candace does a really good job at that. And this is somebody who's not, been seen as anybody but dj tanner no matter what she did in her career which was a lot of hallmark movies and that ilk um and kind of took a time out from acting to be a mom but she's sure i think just the fact that she's matured as a person since we saw her as dj is factored into the role she's playing now really well and she's even grown in that role over the past three seasons which i think is really noticeable
0: this year more than any other did is it me or does she get more attractive this season? Like I I I know she's an adult, but you know, and, and she couldn't have changed all that much in three you know in three seasons. But I just feel like she got hotter this season. Maybe it's the way they're dressing her. Maybe it's because she's got a tan. But you know, like Jody Sweeten was the one who you know who everyone was like, ooh Jody Sweeten. But they continually dress her in curtains and tarps you know, and these long flowing things, and, you know, and she spent half of the season in a cast, you know, on crutches. So you never really get to see her body. And I'm not trying to be piggish about this, but you know, that was, that was the rub on this show is, Ooh, we're going to get to see Jody Sweet and post drug addiction, you know, and she's got these huge boobs. So it'll be fantastic. And the one who's the most attractive on the show and just keeps getting hotter for some weird reason, at least in my crazy opinion is a uh, Candace Cameron Burr. Like she's gorgeous. And I don't, and you I know, think she,
1: I just... she would, she would probably give the, the credit to her personal trainer who she loves and is constantly posting videos with on Instagram. I, I, I definitely think she's kind of dressing a little bit more, um, young adult and less like a mom. I think she's wearing her hair a little bit differently than, you know, she, she had it tied up a lot prior and she's kind of letting it down and having it really like layered and looking good. And uh, she's just, you know, she's just like fine wine, man. She gets better with age. Um, she's a beautiful, beautiful lady and always has been, but really just, she's doing something this year that's making her stand out. And whether it's just the change from more from mom to wow, see what I did there? Uh, <laughs> and whether it's that change or, you know, maybe that there's less focus on Jody Sweetin and her, her very, uh, statuesque, voluptuous physique, because she's constantly in tarps, as you pointed out, <laughs> and then a cast for half a season, um, maybe that's just a natural, more attention focused her way. I just, you know, I just think she's always been an attractive lady, and she's kind of just letting it see through more. Because this season is less about, you know, her as the mother and matriarch of this family, and more about her trying to get her own life in, in a certain amount of order based on the Matt-Steve conflict, et cetera. And I think as a result, she's kind of feeling her oats a little bit and dressing younger and looking younger. And good for you, Candace, Rock it.
0: Indeed. Looking forward to the next nine episodes and, and uh, getting a good stare at her. Um, one of the plot elements that they started with, uh, even as far back as, I think, a season one, is that uh, Stephanie Tanner can't have kids. She's barren or whatever. Uh, and this for out of, seemingly out of the blue and with no connection to anything else happening, they put forth this plot, uh, subplot, where she's pushed to go get a second opinion. And she's told, with the help of a surrogate, if you get on this now, you might be able to have a kid. You've still got some viable eggs. You're just not, you know, but you're going to have to do it through like artificial insemination. And so the whole family says they're going to, they're going to pitch in and help her, which I happen to know somebody who's gone through not one, but two, but I think they're on round three of, uh, in, uh, uh, IVF. And yeah, it's like thousands of dollars to do this. It is not cheap. Um, but in the world of these full house characters, you know, the whole family is going to pitch in and help this happen. And, uh, in the last episode, Jimmy jumps on the plane and says, you know, please let me be the donor. Let me be the child's father. I I want to have a family with you. Um, and she sort of, and she's just sort of, you know, like, all right, quit twisting my arm about it already, you know, sort of gives in and says, okay, you know, I, I want to have a family with you too. um, do you, is there any, now you're, you, you, like my wife, tend to be up on like the the Hollywood gossip and some of the backstories on these things. Is there any particular reason why they would have written this in? Is like, is there something going on with Jodie Sweet? Like, is she really pregnant? I don't think
1: so. And if she is, I haven't heard anything about it. Um, she tends not to be thankfully the gossip fodder that she was when she was in the throes of addiction. Um, I don't know if this is necessarily a way where they're thinking of, we kind of want to wind the show down or something along those lines and give it a happy ending or maybe this is a way to write out a character at a certain point. Like, maybe things don't work with Jimmy and they write him out. Um, I I can't tell you anything on the real-life side of that, but I can tell you that, to me, this feels a little forced. Um, And I don't necessarily dig the dynamic it's going in in that sense finding out that she couldn't have children was a good element to add to her character and unless this is and this is going to sound very cold but unless this is headed for a payoff where you find out even with surrogacy you know your eggs aren't really any good and I can't do it and she goes through some sort of character arc with it I, I don't think there's a good payoff coming to it
0: That's just me. I actually don't like the way they wrote her story this season. It's the one thing about season three I was not pleased with because it's, she started in with it with season two with, I'm going to get back into music. That's going to be my thing. And I understand she's there to watch the baby during the day. uh, When, when DJ's at work, that's the whole point of her being there. I mean, Andrea Barber was there because she was leaving Fernando at the time and she needed support. Um, she wasn't necessarily there to help DJ with the kids, though, though she can. Um, Stephanie was the one that was moving back, coming home from London. She apparently had been some sort of a successful DJ in Europe, and she was coming home to help with, with the kids in the aftermath of the father dying. Uh, you know, the same premise as uh, the original Full House. And in season two, she's like, I have no money and nothing to do other than watch your baby. I'm going to get back into music and they briefly reform the band and she writes The Boy Next Door, which they play off of a little bit in this season, uh, which is all fine. But instead of continuing her, her quest to become a, a musician again, they seem to have summarily dropped it. They kept saying she was broke and that everything had stalled and now she wants to have a kid. And I'm looking at this, going, how does this add up? It was, you know, like I said, it just seemingly came out of nowhere and was connected to nothing.
1: Yeah, they they really, it was never hinted at. It was never, you know, there was never a seed planted about it. They addressed it in the first season, great, cool, not a word about it in the second season at all. This was just dropped, and the drive went to her trying to get back into music great season three you know other than the one instance where she had sold apparently a song to a movie and they used about 10 seconds of it and that was it and she was disappointed over that um, they just kind of pulled this thing out of thin air to do that and I don't know if maybe it was reactionary by people who were upset about that that happened to her character and they shouldn't do that and they said this is everything needs to be happy or what have you and to me, that takes away from things a little bit because I think the one thing this definitely had over its predecessor is that it, it was getting and shifting a little bit more reality-based in terms of its storytelling, especially with Stephanie not being able to have children. That was the big one. And now that they've gone and basically retcon that out of existence, the fact that if she gets on it now, she can do this with surrogacy. Um, Like I said, unless we're looking for a payoff where either her eggs aren't good or she doesn't find that window in time, I don't see a positive result coming of this. You're going to add another baby to the show, more cast. And I know that the first show had a ton of characters involved, particularly you won't find oftentimes a larger main cast featured in every episode than Full House. But that's a really hard balance to make work. And even towards the end of that show, as I pointed out, they really didn't make it work all that well. Um, and I'm afraid of this show veering that same course.
0: Yeah. I Other, than that, I just don't like the story. You know, like I said, I like the fact that everything's built. The, the, the last thing I want to talk about before we, we end tonight is, again, at least it's a continuation of a set story and not somebody who just came out of left field and – you know, I, I don't know what they're going to do with this, with the next nine episodes with it, if anything, at all, but it was one of those like, huh, when I when I saw it, the the stuff with the Gibbler family, you know, Fernando was a guest character in the first season. he become, he moves in in the second season um, as he's trying to pass things up with Andrea Barber, uh, who's you know Kimmy Gibbler, and then in this season, he decides he's going to buy the Gibbler house. And he's, you know, he's going to move his family out and continue to, you know, the, the path of reconciliation. And, you know, and Andrea says, you know, Kimmy says to him, you know what, I like it here and I'm not leaving. Um, I I can see that for that character. You know, she she found strength in being, you know, in being in DJ's house. I mean, it was it was it was absolutely consistent with her character in the in the first version of the show. Where she basically lived in the town, her home, and it was always get up, Kim, you know, Kimmy, and she's like, nope, I'm not leaving, you know. So it 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 would make sense that she would want to stay there now that she's embedded in the home. Um. So I, and and they played off of that throughout throughout season three. You have the episode where he tries to bribe Ramona into coming to live with him or spend more time with him by building her a yogurt shop and a dance studio in the home you know, in her room. Um, you know, and then Kimmy buys her a pony, which, you know, my first thought is I thought you didn't have any money. How the fuck did you buy a pony? But, you know, I, you know, you can't ask too many questions with this show. You know, you start it starts no. making no sense. Um, you sort of accept, accept that there's a money tree somewhere that, that they pluck from. Uh, but I liked it. You know, I enjoy. I continue to enjoy the interactions of those three actors. And their storyline was just fine. It doesn't really have any kind of natural conclusion to it. It just sort of, it's out there, they deal with it, and it just sort of stays out there. And there's no real conclusion to that story. And we probably
1: won't see one again. Um, eh. Now, keep in mind, we we were calling this our review of Season 3. This is only Season 3A. Um, The second second half of the season is going to be released in December, and that's another nine episodes, the total of 18. So certain things, no, we knew we weren't going to get a resolution on through this season, which makes it a little bit harder to judge as a whole on some of these things. But I think what you just hit on, we probably will never get a resolution to until the show ends.
0: Yeah, it'll be interesting to see, you know, when Netflix says, all right, call it a day, folks, wrap this up, if they decide they're going to, you know, they're going to have the family live in one house together or send him off to Europe. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know where they're going with this. But it'll be interesting to see. Uh, those are the main points of the season. I don't have a whole lot else um, I had I talked about this when we first started discussing this show there are a couple of cringe worthy parts to this uh, though. as much as I enjoyed Cameron uh, Cameron's acting in the, in the bridal shop where she has to act like a mannequin at, <laughs> at one point um, when CJ walks in and catches her I, was, I had to fast-forward through that. I was like, yeah. Um, there's... Uh, the, the, there, I, I mentioned this before, and it just, it just it bears a little bit of discussion. I like the fact that they moved Kimmy's character on from she has to be Ramona's best friend. They, uh, they did an entire episode where she goes overboard yet again, and she shows up at uh, Ramona's laser tag date and, you know, there's this recognition of, hey, I'll always be your mother and I'll always love you, but I can't be on top of you all the time. Um, and they didn't seem to go back to that again the rest of the season. She, she more or less left Ramona alone uh, to do her own thing, you know, and she and the Kimmy character was doing other things. She was dealing with the wedding and, you know, just, just being there, being funny. Um, and I, I was like, I like that they that they did that. Those are the, the only other points I wanted to mention. I'm going to go ahead and throw it to you for last words and burning desires. Um,
1: I really think this season, for, for the, the minor complaints we've had against it, I think it definitely did move the show in a, a strong direction forward. The plot lines that were left uns, unsolved going into season 3B are actually... Very, for the most part, uh, very intriguing, and I want to see where they go. I give a lot of credit to the cast now who've really gotten comfortable in their roles and the interplay they have with each other, where the show clearly has to rely less on bringing back the original adult cast for more than just an episode per character, we'll say. The show is maturing just as its young cast members are, and I think it's being done and handled really positively. Nothing's going to be perfect. But for what this show is supposed to be, I think it's hitting or exceeding its mark more often than not. I'm excited to see season three be in December. If we're to give letter grades to these seasons, I'd say this was the strongest one yet. I'd give it an A-. minus.
0: All right. Um, yeah, I don't disagree with that. Uh, I, I'm enjoying the show. I laughed. And I think, you know, as I say a lot on Damn You Hollywood, you know, comedy should make you laugh, and if they make you laugh, then it's successful. And that's really all I ask of these things: be entertaining and make me laugh. And I definitely giggled. I mean, I, I mean, I, there wasn't you know a breathless laugh moment in any of this, but um, you know, I, I I enjoyed what I was watching. I at no time was bored, um, nor nor was I felt you know embarrassed to be watching it. So kudos to the folks at Netflix and uh, and Fuller House for continuing to make an entertaining show. And not making, you know, more than maybe one or two sequences, you know, cringe-worthy. Um, tomorrow night on here on the Rattle Legend Broadcasting Network, Metal Hammer of Doom will uh, review Arch Enemy, Will to Power, and Thursday uh, on Trial will be back. We unfortunately, due to Hurricane Irma, we're not able to do an on trial for it. But uh, if you, but I'm gonna go ahead and plug the Red Letter Media is half in the bag when they compared the new it to the old it, good enough. <laughs> yeah. I don't think I would have done a better job talking about it. So go, go listen to their, uh, their show. And you can enjoy it if you really want to. Plus, uh, Is Arch a the, solo the,
1: does our journey have the really good looking girl singer from Canada?
0: Correct. Who sounds a good. Oh thing. God. She's incredible. Yeah. She, she often gets voted as like the hottest woman in metal. Uh um, that girl from the Coil. Yeah, Jesse's obsessed with her. Um, I think I think that's the one hall pass Jesse uh Jesse makes mention of. But um Thursday, it's the fifteenth anniversary of Ballistic X vs. Sever. That makes you feel old. Came out in two thousand two. It's the it's the most rotten movie on uh, Rotten Tomatoes, which means it has the highest number of reviews that have uh, and every single one of those reviews gave it a, a rotten score. So it, it's zero on the tomato meter. <laughs> and I thought, what what better movie to put in the on trial than Ballistic X vs. Severn, which I watched today, and it's actually not that bad. Um, but we'll talk about it. Uh, next week, we've got... Uh, Source material, we've got uh, the DC Universe meets Hanna-Barbera, which we'll either do that one straight or we'll have Josh Calandros come on again and you know, and we'll do like we did with the DC Warner Brothers books where we have to... You know, and to be him.
1: fair, <laughs> <And> I... <laughs> I liked Green Lantern Space Ghost.
0: Okay. Uh, I just got it in the mail today, so I'm going to read it. I'm, I'm very excited about Suicide Squad and the Banana Splits. That's the one I really want to read. Uh, oh Wednesday, October <laughs> Wednesday, October 4th, uh, we're going to review Primus, The Desaturated Seven. And uh, there's not going to be a Tuesday show. Instead, we're going to move that to Thursday, October 5th. Another TV party we're going to do since it's October, and October is all things Halloween, uh, we're going to review Hannibal, season one. And that's going to be me and Robert Winfrey. Um, as far as any other TV parties, we'll have Robert Winfrey and Robert Cooper on uh, October 17th for Voltron season four, which is kind of like what they did with uh, exactly like what they did with Full House, Fuller House where they took a long season and just cut it in half. This is the second half of basically season three, though they're calling it season four. Uh, however you like it, call it what you want. Um, that, so season four or season 3.5 will be October 17th on a TV party And in the month of November, we've got a TV party for Black Mirror Season 3, myself and Jesse Starcher. And in the month of December, we'll do a TV party for The Crown with Andrew Graham, friend of the show. So those are all my plugs for the time being. Pat, go ahead and plug whatever stuff you got going on.
1: Yeah, you can hear me normally on Sunday evenings at at 8 p.m. Eastern time on the Ritalich Broadcasting Network for the 411 Mania Ground and Pound radio show. You can hear me bag on all things UFC and MMA on that show regularly uh, and shout out to Paige Van Zandt more often than not. Uh, nothing major in the works. I'm looking over a couple things that Mark and I, I'll pitch to Mark and we'll see if we get on the network or not. Uh, he's always looking for content, so why not? Uh, other than that, just thanks to everybody for listening in on Sundays and on our last few TV parties, where I've had a lot of fun, and I hope you guys have too.
0: Uh, is, did Jeff abandon that show, or are you two getting along? No, Jeff you know well enough that you keep coming Jeff, back. Jeff is still Jeff is still very much a part of the show.
1: Um, certain weeks he he's not able to make it; it's just because he's at you know. WonderCon or or some other major, you know, media event happening in Southern California that he ends up going to cover, Um, we still disagree pretty heavily more often than not, Um, but nothing, nothing made, I think the last uh, time I really put him on the spot and really had a strong disagreement with him was he kept saying Derek Lewis is a veteran as means to why he'll beat Mark Hunt, and I kept asking him, what does that mean? somebody with 14 fights and that has lost all of them is a veteran tell me why you believe he'll beat mark hunt give me something i can work with and didn't and yeah that we went on like that for a while and rob probably was pulling his hair
0: out i was gonna say that sounds horrible but no i'm glad i'm glad at least you two uh, are able to coexist on the same show and, and and it not end in tears that makes me happy uh, it also makes me happy that you were here tonight. I always appreciate your insight. I enjoy talking television shows with you. We'll have to uh, start coming up with the 2018 schedule. I'll figure out what what we what else we want to talk about since we you know we've we finished a number of different shows. I uh, I finally finished Game of Thrones. I got all the way up through the undead dragon t- tearing down the uh, the wall. Uh, so I'm very proud you season when that finally comes out. Yes. I have, uh, I, 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 for a while then my wife was wondering, she was like, you know, I accepted you not parenting when you when you were dealing with chemotherapy, you don't get a, you don't get a pass for not parenting your children to go watch Game of Thrones. And I said, sure I do. Um, but (laughs) I, I have finally binge watched the entire series up until the season seven finale. So, uh, in a year or so, whenever Game of Thrones season eight comes out, I'll be right there to watch it as it comes out and. We'll, we'll do like we did with The Flash and some other ones where, you know, when the finale hits, we'll uh, we'll talk about it. I'll actually be, be prepared and to.
1: Um, I'm happy you finally yeah. got to hear my favorite line of all time in the series where uh, Tyrion and the Hound are walking towards the court of uh, Cersei, and you hear the Hound say, whenever there's something bad going on, there's always a Lannister fucking behind it, and Tyrion has to reply, and there's always a and cunt standing right behind them.
0: I I tell you I had a I had a cheer out loud moment where uh after after the Lannister army takes uh, Highgarden spoilers after the Lannister army takes Highgarden and they're marching the supplies uh and on the road and they are of course they're attacked by the Dothraki and the uh and you know um Amelia Clark on the Daenerys on her dragon and the dragon's just lighting up the entire fucking army <laughs> I I mean, these four bastards. I, but I, I, had a cheer at the television moment. I was like, "Yeah, like this is what I've been waiting for. Fuck them up," and they, you know, and it's so funny because, you know, I've heard like South Park make the jokes of the dragons are coming, the dragons are coming, as if there were no dragons on the show. There's been dragons on the show since the end of season one, in some form or fashion, and even the even even uh, season six, I think. The dragons were lighting people up and eating them here and there. So I I don't know where the complaints were of where the dragons... There's been fucking dragons on the entire series. But it was fun to see her riding the dragon into a battle and lighting up the entire army and the the caravan of supplies. I, I thought that was pretty hilarious. And those are my thoughts on Game of Thrones. So... All right, Pat, we're going to get out of here. Uh, Thank you, everyone, for joining us tonight on uh, TV Party Tonight. For Pat Mullen, I am your mandated reporter, Mr. Mark Radledge, and frankly, I enjoy Dragon's Burning Armies. Be well, be safe, and behave.